When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Learning Unlocked podcast, presented by Open Sesame. Taking a deep dive into the global world of learning and development with practical tips and tricks, along with insights from leading brands and the people that make them work. This is Learning Unlocked. Now, here's your host, Brian Berger. My guest is Mark Kaplan. He is the managing partner of the Dagoba Group. You can find them online at thedagobagroup.com. They specialize in leadership development, in inclusion, and diversity. They have the number one DNI book on Wall Street for three straight years and a bestseller on Amazon. In addition, tens of thousands of leaders every year attend their award winning inclusion programs. Mark, welcome to the Learning Unlock podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much, Brian. So happy to be here. Why don't we start with, tell us how the Dagoba Group started. It's, it started out of uh, an interest, really, that we had in inclusion and diversity, which for me started a couple of decades ago. I was doing sort of general organization development and leadership development work, and I got exposed to some of the concepts of inclusion and diversity and got really excited about the potential to improve organizations and increase the skill of leaders if they really understood inclusion and diversity and the value that was added. That's interesting. So, I mean, you know, obviously this is such a big topic now, but you're telling me, you know, years and years ago, this was your your focus and you kind of saw this uh, not happening way back when. A- absolutely. I think the co- there's been a diversity and inclusion conversation really since the laws started to change in the early 70s. But the focus of that conversation is what's really shifted over the years. It went from something that was more legal and compliance years and years ago to something that was a little more nebulous around, okay, we have to do the right thing, we should value differences, to something that's really specific and very much oriented towards the health of organizations and the ability of organizations to thrive. And as that conversation changed, uh, I think we really saw an opportunity to help companies get ahead of this issue as opposed to being in a reactive mode. I know that more lately there's been quite a bit of of press about sort of where we are as a society. So organizations are paying attention perhaps in, in, in different ways now. But this is a conversation that's been going on for quite a while. So how do companies get ahead of this? I mean, again, now it's it's on the forefront of conversations for most companies. But if you're a company and you're trying to be more diverse and inclusive, how do you go about doing that? Because I've had a lot of guests on this show and you know, sometimes companies are just checking the box. Other times it's part of the fabric of the company. How do you help your clients make this part of the fabric of the company? Well, first, first they have to understand the context, right? I mean, you have to really understand how, how is inclusion and diversity important to my company based on the workforce that I'm trying to hire, based on the market that I'm trying to reach? I mean, how is this relevant? I think for most companies, what's what's perhaps snuck up on people, right, is that, you know, 
30 years ago, this was a theoretical conversation about, oh, gee, someday we're going to have a much more diverse uh, demographic and uh, customer profile and workforce. And that reality is now here now, right? It's not a speculative future conversation. So understanding the context for your company is the most important thing. What you do not want to do is sort of take an off-the-shelf approach or check-the-box approach, as you were saying earlier, to inclusion and diversity, because it won't connect. You, you have to make sure that your approach to inclusion and diversity resonates in the organization and that that, that the folks who you work with are understand why it's important in their world and in their specific context. So, so context really is the most important part of getting an, uh, an inclusion diversity initiative that really is, is going to be effective. Mark, where do companies find the pool of diverse candidates? Well, everywhere, right? I think most, most companies have a traditional way of getting talent. They have a traditional set of talent pools that they go after, that they go after. It may, it may be, um, you know, specific schools. It's interesting. In some of our clients, we notice that they tend to go to the same schools. And when you really probe a little bit deeper, you find that the reason they go to XYZ school or schools is because maybe there was an executive who went there 20 years ago. So it became sort of an embedded practice, if you will, in the organization. But the there's a couple of current considerations that I think are really important. Number one is that there's much more diverse talent that's available more, much more broadly. And the, I, I think a lot of companies learn this during the pandemic, during all this remote working, that you can think about hiring in a broader way. You don't necessarily have to hire people, number one, that fit a, too narrow of a profile, but number two, that are located near you, right? A lot of companies, you can now hire people who live 500 miles, 1,000 miles, even 10,000 miles away, because we're in an environment where hybrid working and remote working is more of a feasible option. So I think the pool of talent has actually expanded quite a bit, and the the all of the remote working associated with the pandemic has actually kind of exponentially increased the way companies can think about talent. Yeah, so that's one of the things that you work with your clients on too is work-life balance. I have talked to so many people who – have said that working remotely allows them to spend more time with their family. They have a better work-life balance. What's the future of work-life balance? And what do you advise clients on how do, I mean, I think we all want the key to how do we have a better work-life balance? Well, I think you can't, you can't have a work-life balance conversation, frankly, without having an inclusion conversation, right? These, these two things are, are linked together. My business partner, Mason Donovan, wrote a book called The Golden Apple, which focused specifically on this link between inclusion and work-life balance. So, it, it, you know, work-life balance looks really different to different people, right? I mean, I think that's, that there's, there's not a, there's not one solution for work, work, uh, work-life balance. People have different needs at different parts of their lives. Sometimes their needs are based on where they live. It's based on the kind of family that they're a part of. It may be based on their culture. So the starting point for a work-life balance conversation really is that. It's like, what are the different needs that our workforce has and how do we respond to that? It's, it's kind of similar to, the, there was a bit of a revolution that started in employee benefits probably three decades ago. And there was this thing called flexible benefits that a lot of companies began to implement. And it really was a recognition that the traditional 
profile, right, of the man at work with the wife who stayed at home with 2.3 children, you know, they had certain, there was a certain set of employee benefits that fit that profile. And it took a while for companies to realize that that's really not the majority of the workforce anymore. And what people need in terms of their benefits is broadened and different. So they went, they took a more flexible approach. I think the same, the same thing is true here around work-life balance. How do you give people as much flexibility and as they, as they need? And again, the pandemic and the remote learning, learning, I think what's, what's going, what's emerging in a lot of our clients now is it's really not going back to the way it used to be in terms of the way people work. A lot of companies have are taking sort of a hybrid approach, which might mean that you have some people who are permanently working remotely, or you have people that maybe they spend three days in the office and they work from home for two days. All of this creates more flexibility and more flexibility at least has the potential to create more work-life balance. More of Learning Unlocked is coming up after this. Diversity, equity, and inclusion continues to be a top priority for businesses everywhere. Open Sesame has created a survey that will give you insight into where your organization stands on diversity. Aside from being educational, this survey is a powerful tool to help you understand areas of improvement and spark conversations about strategies for creating a more inclusive and equitable workplace. After you take the short survey, you'll get access to Open Sesame's DEI Toolkit, an online hub where you can find additional resources. Visit opensesame.com today to start your survey. Back to Learning Unlocked. Here's Brian Berger. So flexibility sounds like that's the key. It's not one size fits all. You got to talk to your workforce and you got to try and be as flexible as possible so that they're as happy as possible. Well, that's that's exactly right. And that, you know, you might not think about that as a diversity and inclusion issue per se, but when you think about it, isn't that really at heart an inclusion and diversity issue? What we advise our clients to do is to embed inclusion in everything that they're doing, right? And that's that's the approach. So when I think when companies started looking at uh, diversity and inclusion years and years ago, they saw it as kind of this separate thing that they had to remember to think about every once in a while, right? And I think where we are now is, and the question that we're always asking clients is, okay, how are we going to embed an, inclus- an inclusion lens is one way to think about it, right? Like a DNI lens into everything that you're doing, your hiring, the way you develop staff, the kind of working arrangements you set up, the kind of flexibility that you give people, the way you develop talent, all of that has to have an inclusion lens, so that inclusion is not something that's separate, but it is something that is just a part of how companies think, make decisions, and do business. So along those lines, one of the other things you work with your clients on is unconscious bias. How do you recognize an unconscious bias, and then how do you help change that bias? Uh, that's a great question, and I, I think the starting point, Brian, has to be that and the the research all supports this. I'm not a neuroscientist, right? But the neuroscience research, the way the brain works, we all have unconscious biases because our brain has to make all kinds of decisions unconsciously so that we can live in a world, right? Where we are confronted with decisions every day. Just just think about your you know your commute home from work at the end of the day, right? To, to get home, how many times have you gotten there when you put your key in the door? And you don't even remember how you've gotten there. That's because you've done you've you've done that commute 
so many times that you can do it and, and, and you don't have to think about it, right? So we have to be able to make decisions that way because if we had to make every little decision with our conscious brain, we would, you know, we'd be tired by 8.30 in the morning, right? So unconscious bias is actually at some level functional and normal. And the issue becomes, how do I understand where my unconscious biases are impacting people in ways that I don't intend, nor do I want? So our work, when it comes to unconscious bias, is really focused around helping people understand some of the decisions they make that involve and impact people in a really granular and a really specific way, and how to bring some of those decisions into their conscious brain so that they can they can tailor their behavior uh, and have essentially match the, their intent with their impact. Because well, what we find, Brian, is that, uh, and this is a part of how the conversation around DNI has changed, is that most people are well-intended. Now, you know, I realize we have we we we're in a difficult time societally, and we're kind of polarized around a lot of issues. But if you get a little below the surface, you find most people are well intended when it comes to inclusion. At least most of the people who work in our our clients, and that the challenge is more about is my good intent matching uh, the actual impact I'm having. So our focus is on what are the decisions you're making that involve people. What are the kind of interactions you're having that involve people all day, and how can we bring some of those to the surface? And then think about ways to control for your unconscious biases. So when it comes to unconscious bias, the focus of our work is how do you control for at least some of your unintended and unconscious biases in ways that get you to the kind of impact that you really are most likely intending. What would be an example of unconscious bias in the workplace? Uh, well, think of, I mean, gosh, think of all the decisions you make that involve people, right? I mean, we I, I could give you a thousand examples from clients. One one that comes to mind is a woman who, she was in an executive position. She, she took on a new uh, team. And this is, this is going to illustrate at some level the simplicity of controlling for unconscious bias. And with this new team, you know, she had, they worked in an open office space. And she there were about 50 of them and then she had an office as the as the executive who was in charge and she got some feedback from some of her team a couple of weeks after she took the job and they they basically they were they said to her you know we'd like you to take a different route when you enter the office because they had noticed that every time she entered the office she would take the same route this direct route to her to her office you know and so she'd walk by the same people here she was a new manager so who was she talking to who was she getting to know who was she connecting to it was the people who were along her route so these folks who were at the other side of the office said hey you know can you take a different route and she thought it was kind of funny but when she was describing this to us she said you know i started to do it i started to i started to become conscious of the route that I took every time I entered the office. And I started to intentionally take a different route each time. It became a little bit of a game. And she said it, because she was aware, she was conscious then about connecting to to people, stopping by, saying hello, asking them what they were doing. Because a lot of the unconscious biases that are most impactful, Brian, are the ones that happen out of casual interaction, hmm. right? Who who do I feel most comfortable with? Who do I build affinity with at the, the, in the easiest ways possible? Because all of that translates to who gets the most feedback, who gets the most opportunities, who do I feel most comfortable with, who do I make visible in front of executives? So when you can get at some of that small behavior, you can begin to reshape people's experiences. And she said after a few weeks of taking a different route to her office, 
she said it became a habit. And what we're trying to do with the people that we're working with and our clients is to help to them to develop different habits around that day-to-day behavior. More of Learning Unlocked is coming up after this. Open Sesame helps companies develop the world's most productive and admired workforces. How? By having the most comprehensive catalog of e-learning courses from the world's top publishers, publishers like TED and Harvard. And having courses that cover learning topics like diversity, equity, and inclusion, leadership development, safety and compliance, and wellness. Try a course for free today by visiting opensesame.com backslash course of the week. Back to Learning Unlocked. Here's Brian Berger. It's interesting because you see in the workforce so often, especially senior executives, they tend to hire people that have been with them previously at other companies. They bring familiar faces, people that they trust, but it is kind of an unconscious bias, isn't it? It's very, it's very much an unconscious bias. So we, we would call that um, probably some combination of affinity bias, which is the bias that results in similarity and comfort, and confirmation bias, which is the bias that results from the sort of unconscious assumptions we make about the kind of person who's going to be successful. It, it also illustrates the point, Brian, that there's a way in which, com- uh, which some unconscious bias sort of makes sense in a certain way, in the sense that if I know somebody and I, I'm familiar with them, I and I and I have a sort of a profile in mind that I'm used to of someone who succeeds. It makes sense that the more pressure I'm under, the more I'm going to go with what's worked before, right? So at, you can see how at one level that makes sense, and you can see why well-intended people can make those decisions. But you can also see how the ultimate impact of that is essentially that sameness begets sameness, right? It becomes systemic in in a certain sense, right? And they just keep doing what's worked before, and that just keeps recreating again and again the same kind of profile, the same kind of hire, the same kind of person, the same kind of skill sets. And they can, over time, get themselves a bit stuck and missing what the value of diversity is, which is that you know people come in with different perspectives and different experiences, and because of that, they add value in different ways that you can't see, right? So a leader can sort of undermine themselves over time if they don't stop, think consciously, and force themselves into situations where maybe they're going to feel a little less comfortable for a while, but they're going to add incredible value to their team and then to the organization. Mark, your group works with Uh, companies on leadership dynamics. What are the qualities that make up a good leader? Uh, Well, Brian, that is uh, one heck of a question because I think there's a lot of them. The ones that we focus on really relate to how do you become a more inclusive leader? And so it always starts with some level of self-awareness and self-management, right? So we've got five competencies that we describe in the book that we think are critical, inclusive leadership competencies. So one of them is, is, and the first one is just being self-aware. Like I said earlier, you're not going to suddenly know every single bias that you have because we all have lots of biases and, and we can't know all of them all the time. But if you can start to pay more attention to some of the more critical ones that might affect people, you can start to manage yourself in ways that are going to be more inclusive and ultimately uh, more effective. We also talk in our second competency about, you know, you have a good inclusive leader has to embrace some paradoxes, right? And one of the paradoxes is that 
everybody that they're going to manage is both an individual and a member of many different groups, right? It's not one or the other. You're not an individual or a member of a group. You're not an individual or a man or an individual or an African-American or, or an individual or a gay person, right? You're both of those things, right? And so as leaders, you have to manage the paradox. You have to lead people as individuals because everyone ultimately is an individual, but you have to understand the context around where they come from and what they may run into based on the groups that they're a part of, right? So as a, a leader has to manage that paradox and manage the balance between individuality and group membership. We also think with inclusion, our third prophecy is around envisioning and framing positive change. For many years, this issue has been seen in a negative uh, uh, you know, in a negative frame in the sense that, oh, I just don't want to do something wrong. Right. To, so people are managers can be in a defensive posture, just trying to avoid saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. But we say the competency, the effective, inclusive leader is somebody who sees the opportunity of inclusion and frames the conversation in that way to say, hey, where can we take this? What's the benefit? What's the value to us? We also talk about in the fourth competency, fostering true meritocracy. Right. We, we have this image that, oh, every, you know, we have a meritocracy. Right. We hear that in a lot of our clients. And it's like that's really hard if you think about it, you know, it, to have a true meritocracy because you're dealing with you've got human beings. We're not perfectly objective human beings. Meritocracy in the purest sense is, is maybe aspirational, but it's very seldom is it the actual reality that people are living in. So if you foster a true meritocracy, what you're really trying to do is manage the gap between where you would like to be and where you are now. And we think that's a more realistic approach. And then lastly, the fifth competency is about creating a culture of ownership. Inclu a good inclusive leader engages everyone on their team around inclusion and makes sure that everyone understands both what's in it for them, but what they have to learn. Because when in today's inclusion conversation, nobody escapes the need to raise their own awareness and raise their own effectiveness. So a good inclusive leader makes sure that everyone sees the value on the team and that everyone feels ownership of, of having an inclusive team. Mark Kaplan, the managing partner of the Dagoba Group. You can find them online at the thedagobagroup.com. Mark, this is fascinating stuff. I'm sure we could talk for hours about it but I appreciate you joining me on the Learning Unlock podcast. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Brian. It was great talking to you. Thanks for listening to Learning Unlocked, presented by Open Sesame. Download this and every episode on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Learning Unlocked is produced by Griggs Productions.